0: The past few weeks together is we've been reading the book of Jonah together. And um, what we've seen so far, just to give you all a recap, if you've missed the past couple of weeks, um, the story of Jonah is a story of a man who's a prophet, and he's a prophet of the Lord, and God speaks to him, got his direct revelation from God. God speaks to him and says, Go and preach my gospel to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was the largest empire in the world. It was the, the global hegemonic superpower. There's a polypsy word for y'all. Um, capital of Assyria was Nineveh, and God called uh, Jonah to go and to preach God's grace, to call this, this nation to repentance. And um, not only were they the political enemy of Israel, they're also racial outsiders. The Jews were an ethnic group. And God is saying to Jonah, my grace isn't just for people who are ethnically Jewish. My grace is for the whole world, all races. And the response of all the prophets in the Old Testament when they hear God call them, the response is, here I am, send me. But Jonah's response was to run away. And so why? Why does Jonah run away? Well, he he runs away because of fear. Um, He runs away because of racism. He doesn't want God's grace to go to someone who's not like him. Um, he doesn't believe the message that he's called to proclaim. He doesn't believe God's grace. He doesn't understand that his standing with God has nothing to do with his own effort. Nothing to do with his race or his performance or his goodness, his morality, his religiousness. None of it. So he gets on a boat and uh, he sails for Tarshish, which is um, this city in Spain. So he's told to go to Nineveh, which is due east. And instead he goes to Tarshish, which is due west. Literally to the ends of the earth, he goes to flee from God's presence. The Lord sends a storm. Jonah agrees to be thrown overboard, and then the storm stops. And that's where we are tonight, as Jonah is sinking into the Mediterranean Sea, and God provides a fish to save Jonah. I just want to say, this is not a story about a fish. And there's a danger for us to get absorbed into this character, um, that we might miss the whole point. Because the fish here is just an extra in the story. He's just got a walk on part, no lines, no major role. The story is not about a big fish, but the story of Jonah is about a big God, about the miracle of God's grace, the miracle that God accomplishes in Jonah's heart. And in the first two chapters of Jonah, what the author wants us to see is they want us to see Jonah's downward trajectory. He went down to Joppa, down to the ship, down into the waves, down to the floor of the ocean, down to the edge of death down maybe to hell, down into the belly of the fish. And who meets him there? Who meets Jonah at the very bottom? But the God of all grace. And it's only as Jonah is exhausted and unable to strive and unable to achieve and unable to run, unable to make promises of who he's going to be, unable to try to fix himself, to clean himself up for God, it's only there that he discovers the wonder of God's grace. So what we're going to do is we're going to read tonight chapter 2 from Jonah. It's printed on the back of your bulletin. You can follow along there if you like. This is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true. He gives it to us in love. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying... I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, and yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed and over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. and My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, Super Bowl was on Sunday. I'm sure many of you watched it. It was either a great game with a good halftime show, or a great Justin Timberlake concert with football on either side, depending on who you are in this room, right? And at the end of the halftime show, those of you who watched it saw this, right? Justin Timberlake goes into the stands. And then there's this sweet, awkward 12-year-old boy who poses for a selfie with JT. And um, for those of you know, your laughter gives it away. It was so awkward. This poor guy, right, he's so awkward. He's fumbling with his phone, like he danced a little. It was an awkward dance. Uh, He fumbled with his phone, he takes a selfie. he was physically unable to be present in the moment. Um, my favorite meme in response to this was somebody wrote this. They said, "I've never related more to someone than the kid who didn't know what to do after he took a selfie with JT." <laughs> I am like, oh, so glad that wasn't me. Right, I would have been twice as awkward as that kid. Um, right, a selfie with Justin Timberlake on national television would reveal just how awkward it would reveal how awkward I actually am. You know, I wish I was different, different, but it would reveal how awkward I actually am. Um, and it's not just that. I mean, that's a silly example. But there are lots of things that I wish were different about me. Um, so much of my longing, and I wager so much of our longing, is wrapped up in the transformation that we would long to see in ourselves. And the transformation we long to see in each other. And real transformation, deep, real, lasting transformation, the, the transformation that we long for, can only be done by God and his grace. God's grace alone has the power to transform. And that's what we're seeing tonight as we read Jonah. That the transformation we need can only come through God's grace. And friends, all of us need God's grace. I don't know how each of you walked in here tonight, but you're probably experiencing a combination of things. Some of you have experienced great failure. You feel like a hot mess because you know that you're a hot mess. right? You, some of you have experienced great pain. right? You feel like this pain might be the truest thing about you. It feels like it's starting to define, define you. For some of you, most of your waking hours feel like you're putting on an act. You pretend to be a nice girl. You pretend to be a good Christian, whatever that means. You use pious language so people will think that you're okay. Right? You work so hard to keep up your appearance. To manage your image so that no one will find out how much it hurt and how broken you really are. To be honest, right? sometimes you're even able to fool yourself. Able to distract yourself from the real mess, the real pain, the real hurt. Maybe um, you hate going to bed at night. Because once your head hits the pillow, that freight train of anxiety starts again. And you just can't seem to stop it. Maybe you're wondering if you're going to be stuck like this forever. No hope of transformation. And here Jonah's wondering the same thing. He's wondering the exact same thing. He's at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. Water is filling his lungs. He's gasping for breath. He's grasping for his life. He's hard-hearted. He's racist. He's self-righteous. He's actively running from God. And when he hits the bottom, he learns that rock bottom is the most solid ground to stand on. And here Jonah learns something. He learns that instead of a lifetime of sugarcoating and hiding, sucking it up in the midst of failure and mess and pain, instead of putting on a smile to push through the worst, Jonah learns that the answer to his failures, the answer to his inability to get his life on track, the answer to his need for transformation, the answer to his fear of failing to launch... That answer is God's grace. At the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, Jonah gets grace. And if you only hear one thing tonight, I want you to hear this, that if you don't get grace, you will never get anything else. So we're going to learn from Jonah together, and we're going to ask three questions. These are printed on your bulletin if you want to take notes. The questions are, how does grace work? Why does grace work? And how do I get grace to work for me? So first, how does grace work? Well, as you probably know, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Every, person, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Every religion, every religious system operates in the so-that system. Input-output. Output. Work hard, get reward. Work hard for God, be good enough so that God will bless you. Right? There's this logical connection between our performance and our acceptance. And At Wake, you all get this intuitively. There's a direct connection between effort and reward. This is why you kill yourself over your work, because you're rewarded for it. This is why some of you went to class when you had the flu, because you knew that if you didn't put in the work, if you didn't show up, you'd fall behind. The university said to you, stay in bed if you're sick. But you knew that staying in bed meant that you'd fall behind, so you went to class and you got everybody else sick. (laughs) Or, if you did stay in bed, you felt the so that system, too. You didn't show up, you didn't do the work, and now you're behind, right? We, we get this so that, this input-output system, we get it intuitively. We get that there's this connection between my performance and my acceptance, right? You experience this in your schoolwork, your resume. You experience it socially, too. I mean, how much social energy goes towards keeping up appearances? I mean, I remember how exhausting this was for me in college. Going to the same parties and bars again and again just to show up and to say hey to the same people. A head nod, what's up, smile and a hug. Why? Because you had to put in the work. right? I had to put in the input so, so that I would get the output. My acceptance was contingent on my social performance. It's a so that system. Performance so that I'm accepted. Grace operates in an entirely different system. Grace is an and-yet system. It's an and-yet system. All right. This might be some of you, others of you imagine this, but this is true for some of you. You're wrecked by your GPA. Right. Everyone found out about that thing you did. You're terrified of telling people about that thing that was done to you. You failed, you keep failing, you can't get out of the mess. Read verses 5 and 6 with me. Look at this. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Here's Jonah. He's at the bottom of the sea. His lungs have emptied darkness surrounding him. He's folded into the water. It's closed in over him. It's like a casket lid closing on him. Weeds wrapped around his head. Tangled beyond untangling. Bottom of the ocean. Have you been here? Maybe you're here tonight. Look at verse 6 with me. Look at this. It says, And yet, and yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah understands the system of grace. With God, it's not so that. It's and yet. And when you've train wrecked your life, or when someone else has train wrecked you, God, grace is God's and yet to you. Grace is the direct opposite of getting what you deserve. It's the opposite of getting what you've earned. We've got Jonah, this hard-hearted fugitive, grasping for breath, grasping for life at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. He's there because of his willful, deliberate persistence, defiance of God's command, because he's despised God's grace to the Assyrians. When he couldn't get any lower, and yet God. And this is everywhere in the Bible. In Ephesians 2, 4, it says, You were dead in your sin, but God. And yet, God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but, and yet, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. is at the end of his rope. He's dead on the ocean floor. And yet... God being rich in mercy because of his great love. Gives him the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's by grace he's been saved. See, Jonah is showing us you can't earn your way to God. You can't be good enough for God. You're kind enough or smart enough. That's that. That's the, to try that, to try to be good enough for God is actually blasphemous. Because self-reliance is the opposite of God's grace. Relying on yourself is to oppose God's grace. God's grace even if you're good at relying on yourself, is to oppose God's grace. Um, so a great movie about six years ago now, Dark Knight Rises, in the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Um, in this movie, Batman is thrown into a prison. Um, if you haven't seen this scene, he's, he's thrown into this prison that's basically at the bottom of this giant well. And this prison is hell on earth. He's down in this well... And all the prisoners can see the sunlight overhead. And they talk about how it's a hope that actually destroys men's souls. Because they can see the sunlight, but they can never actually climb out. So Bruce Wayne is dropped in. His body's broken because of the fall. And then he spends months recovering, getting strong again. And then finally, he gets up the, the willpower, the courage to climb out. Which only one person had ever done before. He climbs out with no rope. And right, he climbs out because of his anger, because he's Batman, and he goes back and does what Batman does. So this is a picture of the so-that system. right? We watch this sort of thing, and we think this is how we should deal with our problems. right? This is how the world teaches us to, do, to deal with our problems. You're probably in it because of somebody else, and it's your responsibility to get out. right? To, in, in Batman's case, to build your body and to get out. Now imagine with me that Jonah had watched Batman. And um, what would happen if he's at the bottom of the ocean and he had in his mind this picture of, I just got to climb my way out. I mean, he would have died. Like he would have just died on the ocean floor. But we do this all the time, right? We're at the bottom and we just think, I just got to try a little bit harder. I mean, some of you think that you need to climb out of the hole of that one particular sin um, so that God would accept you. Like you think that you actually have to climb out before God would accept you. You think that you need to get your act together. That you need to get that one thing, whatever it may be, you need to get an order before God will receive you. I mean, just fill in the blank. This thing has to end before God would ever accept me. Whether it's um, your keep going back to pornography, or um, drinking and hooking up, or your depression, or your bitterness, or your vanity, your lying, your, your running away, cheating, your greed... You're gossiping. Um, the fact that you've been abused. Maybe that you're a restless control freak. Maybe it's this unending anxiety that you can't turn off. I mean, look at Jonah. He did not have to climb out of the depths of the sea to get God's favor. God comes down to the depths to save him. And yet, God and his grace rescues him. So how does God's grace work? Well, it disrupts the so that system with And yet. So why does God's grace work? So how do I know that this isn't just another interesting idea? Right? You might be asking this. John, how do I know that this isn't just like a TED Talk or a new te- technique for dealing with my feelings of shame and guilt and fear and anxiety? How do I know that God's grace actually works? How and why does it actually work? Well, look at Jonah's prayer. Where does he anchor his hope? Where does he aim his eyes? Where does he look? Where does he aim his prayers? Where is his hope? Where is this hope? Look at verses 4 and 7. I put it in bold to make it easier to find. The temple. He aims his hope, his eyes and his hope at the temple. The holy temple. So what was the temple? Why is this where Jonah looked? Well, the temple acts for us as a sort of visual aid. It was a building that represented two things to God's people. It represented God's holiness and God's forgiveness. The temple was given by God to his people as the place where God dwelt in their midst. And the center of the temple was this room called the Holy of Holies. And it was a room inside the temple that contained God's special presence. The temple was the place where God dwelt in his holiness, and his majesty. And this stood in contrast to the people camped around the temple. Right? God was seen there as something that was wholly other than his people. And inside the Holy of Holies was this Um, This altar called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was this altar that was on top of a large box that was covered in gold. And inside that box was the Ten Commandments. So at the center of the temple, in the center of God's people, was God's holy, perfect law. The perfection that God required. And this serves as the ultimate mirror for us. right? It holds the mirror of the law up to us. And our only response is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. See, more often than not, what we do, though, is we don't hold that mirror up to us. Rather, we hold other people up to us. And we always play the comparison game, right? We play the comparison game all the time. I mean, think about this. Think about how you use others to measure how well you're doing. We do it with everything, right? We do it at the gym. You look at the treadmill next to you, you see that you're going a little faster than them, right? Um, Or you look at the weights next to you, and you see that you're squatting a little more than him, right? You do it in the classroom, my grade is higher. I studied longer. You do it socially. My friends are cooler. My boyfriend is funnier. My girlfriend is prettier. We do it politically. I can't believe what they do. I'm more, to- I'm more tolerant than them. Or I'm more principled than them. We even do it spiritually or religiously. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I don't do what they do. And the law destroys, it obliterates the comparison game. Because it holds up the standard of perfection. Perfection. And all comparison burns up. Because none of us measure up. And this is what the temple did. Right? You think you're fine. You think you're fine morally and spiritually until you come into the presence of reality. Into the presence of greatness. We actually see this in uh, the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is brought in a vision into the temple. Into the Holy of Holies. And there he sees God in all his glory surrounded by his angels. And Isaiah's response is to fall onto the ground like a dead man and say, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. His response in the face of God's holiness and his righteousness and his perfection is to fall down as though he is dead. That's because when we go face to face with God, we see ourselves as we actually are. When you see God as he actually is, holy and righteous and perfect, then you see yourself as you actually are, unholy and unrighteous and a sinner. Now hear me, you are still made in the image of God, but you're lacking all of the moral and spiritual perfection that God has and that God requires of you. And as you go face to face with God, you will see your sin and see your failure so great that it requires a substitute. So we see the holiness of God at the temple, and we also see the forgiveness of sin at the temple. Because at the temple one day a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring the blood of an animal, the substitute animal, an animal killed in the place of the people. And he would bring that blood into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, saying that this animal has died in our place. And y'all, this is a miracle. Don't lose sight of this. It's a miracle that never, not once, did any of the Israelites have to shed their own blood for their sin. Not once did they have to shed their own blood for their sin in that system. I read an article this week on CNN um, about some excavating they're doing in Mexico. And they found in Chichen Itza in in Mexico, is a Mayan temple, um, where they're known to have done temple sacrifices as part of their religion. They've actually found these caves underneath the ground um, that they believe, the Mayans believe, was like a transport to the the underworld. And um, they would sacrifice children there. They'd sacrifice there to the God of rain. Um, Sacrifice children, they say, ages like 3 to 12, um, to that God to appease him. So many religions at this time had a blood sacrifice. And every religion except the religion of the Bible required people to sacrifice their own, whether themselves or their children, their own people. The God of the Bible is the only one who provided a substitute. He is the only God of grace. So the temple tells both the good news and the bad news of the gospel. The bad news is that because of your sin, you deserve death. You're guilty of cosmic treason. Right. Your sin is treason against the God who created heaven and earth. But it also tells the good news, that God accepts a substitute sacrifice on your behalf and forgives your sin. Instead of cosmic punishment, God offers cosmic hospitality. His justice is discharged on the substitute so that you can be welcomed into his loving embrace. So why does grace work? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. He lived the perfect life that we cannot live, and he died the death that we deserve. So that in him we might have life with God, the forgiveness of sins, life with the Father in joy and peace and eternal life, life in God. We might have freedom. We're going to sing a song after this. And one of the lines is this, it says, Upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. God the just is satisfied to look on him and to pardon me. What does this mean? It means that Jesus pleads justice and not mercy. If you are a lawyer in a courtroom pleading for mercy, you know that your client is guilty Um, He doesn't have a case. You're saying to the judge, do you have it in your heart to have mercy? That's so different than a lawyer pleading justice. Pleading that the justice is done. Jesus has the perfect record and has paid the full full payment for your sin. So if you want grace to work in your life, you must see this. God receives you not because of what's in your heart, but because of what's in his heart. So for those of you who are crushing it right now, grades, resume, internship, job, relationships, relationships, You need to hear this. You can't earn God's grace. And for those of you who are being crushed by your grades, your resume, or lack thereof, no internship, no job, failure in relationships, you need to hear this. You are never so bad that you are beyond God's grace. That's why we must say what Jonah says in verse 6 and verse 4. I've been banished and yet I will look to your temple. I want you all to hear me clearly on this. Grace isn't just wishful thinking. It's anchored in the historical reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The certainty that you need, the anchor that your soul aches for, is found in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So the questions we've answered, how does grace work? Well, it replaces so that with and yet. Why does grace work? It's anchored in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that your sins can be forgiven and you can find your life in God. And finally... How do I get grace to work for me? How do I get grace to work for me? How do I experience the grace that you're telling me about? Well, look at verse 7 with me. Look at this. He says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah experiences God's grace as he remembers the Lord. He meditates on God. He meditates on God's attributes, his holiness and his righteousness, his love, his compassion, his forgiveness of sins. Just like we sang in Psalm 46, Jonah remembers the Lord. He was still and he knew that he is God. And remembering the Lord led him to say what he said in verses 8 and 9 that grace flows freely to those who destroy their idols. Grace flows freely to those that destroy their idols. What are idols? Idols are good things that we make into ultimate things. Idolatry is when you take your achievement or your grades or your social circle and you have them tell you who you are. That's idolatry. Idolatry is when you look at your relationships or your religion or your reputation or your image or your resume as a thing to tell you who you are, as a thing to give you your worth. That's idolatry. And Jonah is saying, when I turned from my idols, that the flood of God's unending grace opened up for me. It's when I forgot my idols and I remembered the Lord and his grace that the heavens opened and freed me from the depths of fear and guilt and shame. A pastor I know um, tells a story about a guy that he knew who, when he was in his 20s, was an incredible athlete. He was an incredible athlete in college. Um, he was just one of those well-rounded guys. You know, he was involved in his campus ministry. He was well-liked. He led Bible studies. And then he got Hodgkin's which is a cure, which is curable, but it's still a really rough road of cancer treatment. And as he went through chemo, he lost everything. His health, many of his friends left him. And he was in the hospital one night and was trying to walk from his bed to the bathroom, and he just collapsed. His body was so weak. And he said that there, lying on the floor, unable to even get to the toilet, he said he got it. Right? He was leading no Bible studies, he had not felt like praying in months. He was doing nothing for Jesus. And on the floor, in his own weakness, he said he got it. He said, I got grace. I was helpless. And I realized God loved me just the same as I was on the floor, unable to do anything for God. To this day, this man will tell you that he thanks God for his Hoshkins. And that's what Jonah is saying. He's saying it's when I was still and at the bottom, that's when I remembered the Lord. And the weight lifted off of my shoulders. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So how do you get God's grace to work for you? Jerome, who was an early church father, um, he lived about the 4th to 5th century. He had a dream one night in which Jesus visited him. And in the dream, Jerome collected all of his money and he offered it to Jesus as a gift. And Jesus said, I don't want your money. So Jerome, in his dream, he rounds up all of his possessions and he tries to give them to Jesus. And Jesus responds, I don't want your possessions. And then Jerome turns to Christ and asks, well, what can I give you? What do you want? And Jesus simply replies, give me your sins. That's what I came for. I came to take away your sins. So the question for you tonight, would you give Jesus your sins? Because he's full of grace for you. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of all grace. And we thank you for the work that you did in Jonah's life and the testimony that is to us to show us that um, there is grace for us. um, Even if we are at the bottom um, of the pit, if we are at the end of the rope. I pray for my friends here tonight, those who are in that place, would you meet them? Uh, Meet them by your grace that they might know your compassion and love and be lifted up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.